Hello and welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how policies, history, and culture affect rural Tennesseans. I'm Sandy Rice, and I'm proud to be part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network, hollering the truth across Tennessee. Check out the TennesseeHoller.com, take a look and listen, make a donation, and sign up for the newsletter. I'm behind in listening to my podcast buddies, but I am catching up next week, I promise. You can also check out the Twitter, at the TN Holler, to get even more news about state and national shenanigans. I wanted to do a podcast on Rosa Parks for Black History Month. I'm just slipping in under the wire, but that is okay. We have a lot of catching up to do on Black History, too. Anyway, this is Parks and a refusal to move to the black section of a segregated Montgomery, Alabama bus in 1955 has a connection with rural Tennessee. Mrs. Parks' birthday was on February 4th, so happy birthday to Mrs. Parks as well. She is so often known only as that quiet, gentle seamstress who was just tired after work one December evening in 1955. The mugshot of prisoner 7053 is iconic. The assumption is that this was one, her first and only arrest, two, her single contribution to the civil rights movement, and three, she was physically tired. Well, first of all, it wasn't her first time being arrested. Actually, the mugshot is from February of 1956, which was taken several months after her arrest for refusing to move to the back of the bus. She had been removed from a bus on several other occasions as well. It was not her only contribution to the civil rights movement. She became an active member of the NAACP beginning in her 20s and throughout her life. Her life is a testament to the civil rights movement. She spent six decades working for justice and equality. Finally, she often tells interviewers and audience that she was only in her 40s and had a normal day at work more tired than usual. She was thinking about a lot of other work she needed to do for the NAACP and also didn't notice that the bus driver who had caused her so much trouble on the bus was driving. What she was tired of was giving in. For over half of her life there were laws and customs that kept black people segregated and allowed white people to treat black people without respect. From the time she was a child, she tried to protest against disrespectful treatment. Respect. What an understatement. So let's talk about Mrs. Parks, including a guess what, a connection with rural Tennessee. Born in 1913 in Alabama as Rosa McCauley, she lived with various family members around Montgomery when her parents needed to be away from her and her brother to find work. She remembers being six years old, and the Ku Klux Klan riding through their black community, burning, beating, and killing. Her grandfather spent nights sitting at the front door with a shotgun. Rosa met and married Raymond Parks, an activist who was a longtime member of the NAACP. Raymond was raising money for the defense of the Scottsboro Boys in 1931. Well, the Scottsboro Boys, at the height of the Depression, People rode the trains, not in the train, on top of the train. So nine black men, not known to each other except for two siblings, two brothers, along with some white men. Well, there apparently was an altercation between them. 
Maybe someone stepped on a hand in the dark. Anyway, the white men were either thrown or jumped from the train. At the next stop, a white crowd was waiting. Two women got out of a boxcar and, and accused the nine boys of raping them. The boys were taken to a nearby town, Scottsboro, where they were tried, convicted, and imprisoned in a matter of days. So between 1931 and 1948, there were a total of four trials, guilty verdicts, white juries, death penalties, years in a nasty prison, a famous Jewish New York lawyer hired by the Communist Party, anti-communism, anti-Semitism, the NAACP being accused of being communist, two appeals that went to the Supreme Court, which ordered retrials, international coverage and support, and a big black eye for Scottsboro, Alabama. The Supreme Court ruled that the trials were unconstitutional because not only were the juries all white, but the jury pool was as well. It violates the 14th Amendment due process of law. The boys all served an average of 10 years in prison, and finally the last boy escaped in 1948. Just a word about communism. The Communist Party was trying to get a foothold in America, focusing on the South. They believed that the Civil War did not resolve the question of slavery and inequality for the black man, and this was proof that capitalism did not work. Communism could offer America a better system. A word about sexual outrage. Southern whites believed that all black men were anxious at all times to rape a white woman. And the idea that Southern womanhood was sacred and needed to be protected. Any attack on this precious Southern womanhood was punishable by outrageous violence. Another example is the story of Emmett Till. In August of 1955, Emmett Till, age 14, was visiting from his family home in Chicago to relatives in Money, Mississippi. On a bet from some of his play friends, he went into um, a store and on his way out, he said, bye baby, to the white woman behind the counter. She claimed that he wolf whistled her grabbed her and made lewd comments. Four days later, when her husband returned and was told the story, Emmett was taken from his uncle's home by two, the husband and uh, his half-brother, both white men, beaten beyond recognition and thrown into the river with a 75-pound fan, uh, some piece of equipment used in cotton ginning, tied to his neck. When they finally found him, his face was unrecognizable. The two men uh, uh, responsible for the murder were acquitted by an all-white jury in less than an hour. Emmett's mother demanded his body be returned to Chicago, where she had an open casket viewing and allowed um, him to be photographed by Jet Magazine. A word about violence. People criticize the Black Lives Matter movement about their violence. Read some Southern history, y'all, please. So Mrs. Parks is living with these acts happening around her. She was asked to be secretary of the Montgomery NAACP 
not when many women were directly involved in the NAACP. Uh, but one of her duties was to keep a record of discrimination, unfair treatment, uh, acts, uh, unfair treatment or acts of violence against black people. Well, there were many, many more. These two were the biggies. In 1954, Supreme, the Supreme Court decision, Brown versus the Board of Education, ruled that schools, uh, especially in the South, were certainly separate but not equal and called for desegregating the schools. Activists hoped the same would apply for riding buses as well as a lot of other things. The next year, the states were given the ability <clears throat> or the assignment to implement Brown versus the Board of Education. Well, in the South, we know how long that would take years. Okay, folks, here's the Tennessee connection, number one, and that's the Highlander Folk School. Mrs. Parks was told about a place in Grundy County, Tennessee, the Highlander Folk School, that was doing a 10-day workshop called Racial Desegregation, implementing the Supreme Court decision. This was in the summer of 1955. Co-founded by Miles Horton in 1932, he believed people could solve their own problems with the right kind of a guidance. Initially, the school concentrated on the problems of oppressed white workers, coal forestry, uh, in the Appalachian Mountains. So they taught about labor relations, workers' rights, and anti-poverty organizing. In 1950s, they switched the curriculum more to civil rights, offering classes for reading, writing, how to pass the citizenship test for voting. The school had always been integrated, but when blacks and whites were living, eating, swimming, and meeting to discuss how to implement the desegregation of schools, there was trouble in this all-white county. They eventually burned down the school, accused them of communism. There's a wonderful museum exhibit about the Highlander School in Tracy City at the Grundy County Historical Museum. There is also a new research center for the, for the um, Highlander Folk School in Newmarket, Tennessee. Mrs. Parks was very discouraged before attending the workshop. She was bitter about the struggle that black people were in. A decade of civil rights work had taken its toll. She saw little possibility for racial justice in her life, especially school desegregation. She placed her hope in the young generation and was focused on her work with the youth chapter of the NAACP. But she was chosen to attend this workshop because she was considered to be a leader and a change agent. This time was very meaningful to her. This is a passage from The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks by Jean Theo Harris. The respite she found at, the High at Highlander was evident in her descriptions from a 1956 interview in which she described its relaxing atmosphere that was more than a vacation, but an education in itself. She found, for, quote, for the first time in my adult life, that this could be a unified society, that there was such a thing as people of all races and backgrounds meeting and having workshops and living together in peace and harmony, end quote. The atmosphere proved a salve, salve for some of the psychic exhaustion she had been feeling and began to transform what Parks imagined was possible, a society not riven with racism. Quote, I had heard there was such a place but I hadn't been there, end of quote. 
she returned to Montgomery, Alabama to her job as a seamstress, disrespect, and the news of Emmett Till's brutal murder. So the Montgomery, Alabama buses. Here were the rules, the laws for black people riding the buses in Montgomery. Some drivers made passengers go in the front door to pay their fare and then get off and go around to the back door to get on. Sometimes the driver would take off without waiting for them to reboard. Out of 36 seats, the first 10 were reserved for white, whether there were any whites riding or not. The 10 seats in the back were for black riders. 16 in the middle were for the driver to decide who sat there. So if the black section was filled, you had to just stand. If the front seats filled up, the blacks moved back. The drivers carried guns and police power to arrange seating. Other tricks employed by the bus drivers were not stopping at all to pick up customers, making fewer stops in black neighborhoods, or not extending the line into some the bus line into some black neighborhoods. Petitions for changes or to desegregate seating were ignored or refused. Of all the Jim Crow laws and the suppression of black voting and inaction, this seemed the worst to black citizens. I think because it was a daily concern, it interfered with work. They um, just wanted to go to work in the morning and to have this um, delay and inconvenience must have been extremely frustrating. Now, even though 75% of the bus passengers were black, um, NAACP leaders uh, saw them to be apathetic, um, accepting of these laws, um, and doubted that they would take significant action. So they decided to file a suit to stop segregation, but they needed the right plaintiff and a strong case. In the spring of 1955, tiny teenage Claudette Colvin and an elderly woman refused to give up their seats. Now the elderly woman got off when the driver went to get the police, but who then came and dragged poor little Claudette off the bus. Test case, except that unmarried Claudette became pregnant, would be considered a bad girl, and they needed someone beyond reproach for their case. On December 1st, 1955, busy with her work for the NAACP <clears throat> and not noticing that the driver was the same man who had caused her some trouble before, rose aboard of the bus. More white people got on and a white man was left standing. Oh, my goodness. The driver yelled for her to get up, but she didn't. Miss Parks thought to herself, the more we gave in and complied, the worse it got for us. And then she thought about her grandfather at the door with a shotgun, protecting her family from the KKK. Why do you keep pushing us around, she said to the police who arrested her. It's the law, they said, and off the bus she went. The following Monday, she was found guilty and fined $10 and $4 for court costs. The bus boycott was arranged for that day, December 5th, 1955, originally just to be for one day but it ended over a year later on December 20th, 1956, months after a court case in which all Alabama and Montgomery laws about segregation on the bus was ruled unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court. Black people stopped riding the buses. They coordinated rides with taxis and private vehicles charging 10 cents, the same as bus fare. They walked, they rode, 
They bicycled. They hitchhiked. A young Martin Luther King preached. People across the country sent money and shoes. And there was violence, death threats, arrests. Homes and churches were firebombed. And the violence continued even after the boycott ended. The emotional toll of Mrs. Parks's action is hard to imagine. She was fired from her job the following month. Raymond resigned from his barbering at the Maxwell Air Force Base because talking about the boycott was forbidden. Their rent was raised. The phone rang constantly with hate messages to die, you should be killed, and death threats. They lived in terror of white retribution. They survived economically with assistance from civil rights and church groups they worked with, but suffered physical and mental challenges, Raymond more than Rosa, yet they shared a vision of justice that was crucial. Raymond's love was foundational. He was behind the scenes for decades, backing her up, making travel arrangements for her many speaking engagements across the country, keeping their household functioning, including caring for Rosa's mother, and sharing her political outrage. This enabled Mrs. Parks to continue her political activities. In 1956, they moved to Detroit for work. It was the northern promised land that wasn't. Certainly Mrs. Parks' greatest historic moment was on the bus. Her 50 years living in Detroit is often a postscript, and I'm going to treat it that way as well, since I have already wandered far from rural Tennessee. But let me make a few comments. Her facial fear was lessened although Detroit was very segregated, as whites left the cities for the suburbs. White flight. And boasting complete segregation, one million percent. Within the city, neighborhood associations prevented black people from moving into their neighborhoods. Racism in Detroit was almost as widespread as Montgomery, but without separate drinking fountains, lunch counters, etc. Still blacks were second-class citizens. Racial inequality was a national plague, not just a Southern malady. In 1964, she attended the Civil Rights March in Washington and spoke at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference Annual Convention. In 1965 and through 1988, she worked for Detroit, Michigan Representative John Conyers, the sixth black man to serve in Congress. In 1965, she participated in the March to Montgomery, and witnessed LBJ signing the Voting Rights Act. The Detroit riots occurred in 1967. In 1977, Raymond died. In 1994, she was mugged and beaten uh, in her home. 1995, she participated in the Million Man March. 1996, Bill Clinton presented her with the Presidential Medal of Honor. And in 1999, she received the highest honor of a Congressional Medal. In 2005, she died at the age of 92. Representative John Conyers, who she worked for for so many years, introduced a resolution to have her body lie in honor in the Capitol Rotunda to pay tribute to the mother of the civil rights movement. Tennessee Senator Bill Frist and Senate Majority Leader said, I quote, the Capitol Rotunda is one of America's most powerful illustrations of the values of freedom and 
equality upon which our republic was founded. And allowing Mrs. Parks to lie in honor here is a testament to the impact of her life on both our nation's history and future. 40,000 Americans came to bear witness. Thousands waited to pay their respects at the AME Church in Washington and also in Detroit. On February 27, 2013, President Obama revealed at the U.S. Capitol Statuary Hall a nine-foot bronze figure of Mrs. Parks cast sitting on the bus looking forward. Listeners, I hope you learned some things about Rosa Parks. I sure did. My reading about her was remarkable. I would suggest Rosa Parks, my story by Rosa Parks with Jim Haskins. This is a school uh, a book for school age children. Still really good. And also The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks by Jean Theo Harris. It's intense. It's a lot of information. It has a children's version as well. I would almost suggest starting in the middle uh, when she leaves uh, for Detroit because she did so much more. She never stopped fighting for justice and equality. Ms. Parks always loved working for children and felt that black history was very important. What she warned against was that systemic racism was resolved. Persistent educational inequality, widening economic disparities, skyrocketing incarcerations for people of color, unending wars and rampant racial and religious profiling are contemporary injustice that were rendered so far different from the clear wrong that Parks had protested, but still exist. Before her death, she kept on speaking her mind on the ways racism is still alive, reminding Americans not to become comfortable with the gains that the civil rights movement made in the last 40 years. Indeed, she ended her autobiography observing, Sometimes I do feel pretty sad about some of the events that have taken place recently. I try to keep hope alive anyway, but that's not always the easiest thing to do. And that was in uh, 2000. Thank you all for listening to uh, What About Us? I hope that you learned some things. I sure did. Thank you for letting me wander uh, away from Middle uh, Tennessee, my main purpose. I will uh, add that uh, Mrs. Parks was always very, very close to the Highlander School, um, and it helped her so much spiritually, emotionally, and gave her the strength to go on in her work up until her 90s. I think it's also kind of fun to hear that she was a quilter. She felt like putting all these little scraps together would yield something beautiful, knew that it would yield something beautiful. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt was a knitter. Uh, the other thing that Rosa did was she was a clipper. She clipped newspapers and kept flyers and all those things. And uh, I do that too. So those are just a couple of fun facts about Mrs. Parks. Thank you for listening to What About Us. Please go to tnholler.com to look at the other podcasts, sign up for the newsletter, make a donation, check out all the other little hollers popping up across.
across Tennessee and rural areas. Until next time, bye-bye.